In Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, it says, The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the end of wrath is completed, for what has been determined must take place. Today, winter is coming. This is day 19. Welcome to the Journey Through Daniel podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's Word. Together we'll discuss the content and meaning of each passage and how the book of Daniel can help us understand more about who God is and the story He's writing for each of us every day. Welcome back to the Journey Through Daniel podcast. This is day 19. I'm here once again with Brendan Lang. Yo, yo. The author of our Journey series and Stephen Kelly. Great to be back with you. Coming back from the Chicago campus of Willow. Man, it has been quite the run. It's been great to have you guys. It's been great. I don't want to get sentimental not, too quick. <laughs> we're not there yet. We're not yeah, till the well, end. <laughs> we have one more day to do that, but I have a question for you today. What is your favorite binge-worthy TV show? Maybe a guilty pleasure show that you guys love. What's like your go-to one? I mean, Game of Thrones. Come on, man. I probably watched it four times. Good. <laughs> four <laughs> times? I'm so sorry about season eight. Seven, yeah, two, really. That was it's bad. rough. Anytime I'm bored, I'll just randomly watch any kind of episode. Yeah, I mean, I think oh, it's really? an epic study on humanity, man. I mean, that's just... It is. It's, it's hey, this is how people behave. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And and that's the joke the I made on the intro is. here is like, it sounds like George R.R. R. Martin has been reading Daniel because there's plenty of King of the North references yeah. and all that yep. stuff today. But I mean, I want to tease it too much anyways brendan what about you what's your favorite tv show man is it keeping up with kardashians no <laughs> i didn't think so but <laughs> and i never got into that reality show is it smallville not anymore i mean that was like when i was in high school <laughs> i knew that it. was a guilty pleasure farm town with superman i don't watch tv anymore that's not true i watched uh-huh. mickey mouse clubhouse <laughs> <laughs> not by choice. Guilty pleasure. Not Guilty. what I expected. When you're fighting with a three-year-old, well, I'm not fighting, but when you got a three-year-old and a one-year-old. and It feels like a fight. Sometimes it feels like a fight. Yeah, so That's good. You know, you just kind of acquiesce and understand that this is a season in life. That and all the Pixar movies, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's good stuff. I mean, I like Game of Thrones. It's probably a good guilty pleasure show that I probably wouldn't condone, but it's still (laughs) for younger audiences. But I do think it's an epic study on humanity. I've watched it twice. Once when my first son was born and I would be up late. I would just have that on. I don't know how you do that. Waited for him to what? Like, how can you sit and watch that? Like, like, I'm not criticizing you. What I mean is, no, no, you mean like, no, I mean, like, how can your kid, unless they just sit there and they sleep a lot. I mean, it's the newborn phase. So the first few months you know when they're sleeping a lot i try to take the nighttime shift i did watch messiah during okay those first couple months that's the last show i remember watching beginning to end that was a good one too it's good yeah i mean i think my favorite one on netflix right now is godless i've watched it probably like eight or nine times it's a series and it's like an old western style thing but like updated high production value really compelling again study on humanity study on faith a little bit and actually one of the reasons i like it is because there's this guy in it who professes like scripture a lot mm-hmm. but he uses it how he wants to use it not yeah. how the scripture is like actually using it and then he turns out he's the bad guy i mean it's pretty clear from the beginning but it's a classic like western style thing but i don't know it's like super compelling to me mm. so the mandalorian is good to check too, it out but i couldn't get into that either i tried really it's yeah. a western so maybe watch godless yeah. first and then you'll <laughs> get into it well today feels like a tv show because there's some really confusing writing but mm-hmm. also some references to the king of the north and conquerings and all kinds of of confusing stuff. So uh, why don't we start wading into this binge-worthy day with you, Brendan, with our commentary. Day 19. 
Kings will arise and kings will fall. Yesterday, we read the introduction to the final vision of Daniel. Today's reading reveals the message of the vision, which was written in the Book of Truth. This message reads like a history book. It recounts the rise and fall of various kings and kingdoms in the ancient Near East. These kings are not referred to by their names, but are easily identified by the activities attributed to them. For example, the mighty king of Greece, whose kingdom is broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven, is undoubtedly Alexander the Great, the Greek emperor whose kingdom was divided between four generals after his sudden and early death in 323 BC. Likewise, the king of the north, who abolishes daily sacrifices, installs the abomination that causes desolation in the temple, and murders those who remain faithful to God, is Antiochus IV Epiphanes, the Greek Syrian tyrant who terrorized Judeans before his death in 164 BC. A good study Bible or commentary will help readers make these connections, but you don't need to know exactly who each king is in the chapter in order to understand the point. Repetitious words and themes drive home the big idea. King after king will arise to power, they will do whatever pleases them without concern for others, but no matter how invincible they seem, each will meet their own end. These repetitions emphasize the fact that human history tends to follow certain patterns. Just as Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Darius were all humbled in their own ways after they arrogantly afflicted Daniel and his contemporaries, many other violent kings would arise and fall. For Judeans who faced the prospect of being burned, captured, or plundered by these kings, this survey of history must have served as a source of hope. God saw their suffering, and he would bring down their oppressors at his appointed time. This message continues to be truth for us today. Those with power might do what pleases them for the time being, but the seemingly unstoppable empires of the world are really just transient to God. He will bring victory to his people in this life or the next. For day 19, we're reading Daniel chapter 11, verses 2 through 45. Now then I tell you the truth. Three more kings will arise in Persia, and then a fourth, who will be far richer than all the others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will arise who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he has arisen, his empire will be broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised, because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. The king of the south will become strong, but one of his commanders will become even stronger than he and will rule his own kingdom with great power. After some years, they will become allies. The daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to make an alliance, but she will not retain her power, and he and his power will not last. In those days, she will be betrayed, together with her royal escort and her father and the one who supported her. One from her family line will arise to take her place. He will attack the forces of the king of the north and enter his fortress. He will fight against them and be victorious. He will also seize their gods, their metal images, and their valuable articles of silver and gold and carry them off to Egypt. For some years, he will leave the king of the north alone. Then the king of the north will invade the realm of the king of the south, but will retreat to his own country. His sons will prepare for war and assemble a great army, which will sweep on like an irresistible flood and carry the battle as far as his fortress. Then the king of the south will march out in a rage and fight against the king of the north, who will raise a large army, but it will be defeated. When the army is carried off, the king of the south will be filled with pride and will slaughter many thousands, yet he will not remain triumphant. For the king of the north will muster another army, larger than the first, and after several years he will advance with a huge army fully equipped. In those times, many will rise against the king of the south. Those who are violent among your own people will rebel in fulfillment of the vision, but without success. Then the king of the north will come and build up siege ramps and will capture a fortified city. 
The forces of the South will be powerless to resist. Even their best troops will not have the strength to stand. The invader will do as he pleases. No one will be able to stand against him. He will establish himself in the beautiful land and will have the power to destroy it. He will determine to come with the might of his entire kingdom and will make an alliance with the king of the south. And he will give him a daughter in marriage in order to overthrow the kingdom. But his plans will not succeed or help him. Then he will turn his attention to the coastlands and will take many of them. But a commander will put an end to his insolence and will turn his insolence back on him. After this, he will turn back toward the fortress of his own country, but will stumble and fall to be seen no more. His successor will send out a tax collector to maintain the royal splendor. In a few years, however, he will be destroyed, yet not in anger or in battle. He will be succeeded by a contemptible person who will not be given the honor of royalty. He will invade the kingdom when its people feel secure, and he will seize it through intrigue. Then an overwhelming army will be swept away before him. Both it and a prince of the covenant will be destroyed. After coming to an agreement with him, he will act deceitfully. With only a few people, he will rise to power. When the richest provinces feel secure, he will invade them and will achieve what neither his fathers nor his forefathers did. He will distribute plunder, loot, and wealth among his followers. He will plot the overthrow of fortresses, but only for a time. With a large army, he will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south. The king of the south will wage war with a large and very powerful army, but he will not be able to stand because of the plots devised against him. Those who eat from the king's provisions will try to destroy him. His army will be swept away, and many will fall in battle. The two kings, with their hearts bent on evil, will sit at the same table and lie to each other, but to no avail, because an end will still come at the appointed time. The king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. He will take action against it, and then return to his own country. At the appointed time, he will invade the south again, but this time, the outcome will be different from what it was before. Ships of the western coastlands will oppose him, and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. He will return and show favor to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. When they fall, they will receive a little help, and many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed, for what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his ancestors or for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. Instead of them, he will honor a god of fortresses, a god unknown to his ancestors. He will honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign god and will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle, and the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and great fleets of ships. He will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand. He will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. 
He will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt, with the Libyans and Cushites in submission. But reports from the east and the north will alarm him, and he will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain, yet he will come to his end, and no one will help him. Stephen, do you want to take us through our reflection questions for day 19? Day 19 questions. The situation of faithful people in Daniel chapter 11 parallels the situations of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 1, 3, and 6. All were forced to choose between life or loyalty to God. Unfortunately, some described in Daniel chapter 11 were not immediately rescued by God as their predecessors had been. How do we make sense of God's seemingly haphazard dealings with the world? Can we? What is the message of Daniel chapter 11 for those who don't experience immediate earthly rescue? Question number two. Daniel chapter 11 indicates that those who know their God will firmly resist evil powers like Antiochus IV Epiphanes. How were people back then supposed to show resistance? What do you suppose godly resistance looks like today? You know, Brendan, you said in your commentary, it recounts the rise and fall of various kings. What are they recounting? What's going on here in this chapter? Let's back up. We talked about Daniel 10 yesterday. And as you remember, that was an introduction. That wasn't really the vision itself, although there were visionary aspects of that chapter. Daniel has these encounters with angelic beings, supernatural beings. But here we actually get the vision itself. Super long vision. Sorry, Tyler, you had to <laughs> read Listen, all of that. It read like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones of or something like that. Yep. It was very detailed. It's very detailed, but also very vague, ambiguous. I think that's one of the interesting things about it. And yeah. it's what makes it hard, I think, for for us as moderners to read it because it's like, what the heck is going on here? And is the king of the north Russia? Is the king of the north, what's his name from Game of Thrones? The king of the north. Uh, well, king no, of the north, well, that's just a title, right? Well, he's known as the king of the north. Were Where there the multiple king the kings of the north? Were they always the king of the north? I and, think he was always king of the north. Yeah. At heart, he's always king of the north. Okay, well, I think that's actually helpful because here there are people called the king of the north, but they're not always the same person. It's like successive people. And I think some of those things are helpful to note. And what I would just say is this is probably the the most difficult passage in all of Daniel to read and understand for a lot of different reasons, partially because it's ambiguous because we don't know who these verses are really talking about. You do if you know history. I will say that. If you have a good study Bible, you have a good commentary, you have access to a historian who can kind of help you connect the facts. We do know who most of these people are, but as modern Americans reading this in English, it doesn't immediately jump out at us. I think too, one of our like initial tendencies is to be like, oh, well, none of this has happened before, so it must be like predicting the future yeah, or something yeah, like that. Exactly. So we're looking for signs that this might be yeah. yet to pass. And I will say that the last part of this passage, if we're really talking about the most difficult passage to understand, verses 40 through 45, there's a lot of debate about that. And is that referring to this Antiochus figure that we've talked about? Is it talking about some future Antichrist figure that you sometimes hear about? Honestly, we don't really probably have the time to dive into that the way yeah. that conversation deserves. But what I want to point out is if you don't understand this, that's okay. Most people, when they pick yep. up the book of Daniel, don't know what's going on. What we do want to make sure is 
you see some of the themes, some of the repetition. We talk about this when you're reading any book of the Bible or any book. I mean, you start to notice themes. You notice either keywords that keep showing up over and over and again, or just ideas, concepts that reappear in intriguing ways. Well, and it's a political cartoon, right? Take a step back. We look at it. It's apocalyptic literature. We're supposed to be seeing the world in a new way. And so, you know, if you are looking at this and you're looking for prescriptive readings of this, that's probably going to be difficult for you. But if you're looking for thematic understanding, that's going to be a little bit easier to tackle, honestly. It is. And that you can easily do. I mean, just read it, read it again and start highlighting the things that keep showing up. You know, as I read this, some of the things that stand out is you see this phrase, the king will do as he pleases. There are multiple kings who do as they please, which sounds a little bit like powerful people in our world today. They do what they want. We oftentimes see this word rise. The king of the north will rise or the king of the south will rise. A king will arise. You see that over and over and over again. What that implies is that there's also kings who are falling. Kings will rise to power, but they also fall. And we've talked about this idea that there's encouragement. There's hope for people who are oppressed by dictators, people who have power, whatever. There's encouragement knowing that they all meet their end. In fact, that word end shows up multiple times in this passage. There's a determined end for each of these individuals. It seems like they can do whatever they want, but that's not how things are going to shake out in the end. They're going to meet an end. Maybe a new king who's just as evil or more evil might rise up. Oftentimes it does. That's kind of the story of human history a lot of times, but that's not always going to be that case it's easy for us to like kind of dismiss this too as like history and battles that are being fought by kings and that type of stuff. And while there are physical wars being fought by kings and rulers and leaders in the present day, more often what's happening in our world is this idea of ideological battle. People are, you know, rising up and invading each other from the north or the south. And those are ideological battles that people are having. And that's why like social media and Twitter and Instagram, it's a bloodbath, metaphorically speaking, right? Because these battles are taking place right in front of us. I echo what you're saying, Brendan, about these patterns and themes. This pursuit of power is relentless and it's infectious and (laughs) you can watch and see what happens to your predecessor and you end up doing the very same thing. It's so seductive. I think of, you know, when folks rise to power, you know, they conquer and then divide the spoils amongst themselves. And whether that's by flattery or force, you know, the scripture said they're going to do whatever it takes to rise to power. See that verse 32 is super interesting to me that like this is how a leader coerces people basically it says with flattery he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant but the people who know their god will firmly resist him it's a very interesting method on how a leader might take over what's behind this verse there with flattery so this is very clearly referring to that Antiochus figure we've talked about Antiochus the 4th he goes into Judea we've talked about multiple passages here in Daniel that seem to be alluding to him and things he does in the world if you open up the book of first Maccabees or even second Maccabees, there's a lot of material in there that talks about what he does and it'll really help you see the picture of what's going on here in Daniel. But he did things like what Nebuchadnezzar did. He said, you need to worship this way. There's no more circumcision. There's no more sacrifice in the way that you practice. In fact, you're going to have to sacrifice swine at holy sanctuaries. There's going to be an image of Zeus in the temple. You're not going to practice the Sabbath anymore. The things that used to characterize your religion, they're no more. I'm going to Hellenize. By Hellenize, I mean, he's going to establish Greek religion in the land of Israel. And so he, with flattery, with smooth speech, he corrupts them and says, follow my way. My way is better. You can see the kind of power I have. In fact, he describes himself as Epiphanes, God manifest. This passage alludes to that. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and say unheard of things against the god of gods. This is what a bully does. He convinces people that my way is better. And if you don't follow my way, guess what's going to happen? Verse 33, they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered, just like the Hebrew boys. Only the 
this time, they aren't rescued. There's no angel shutting the lion's mouths. It's going to happen. Are you going to be faithful? I mean, super easy. You're going to die by the sword. And also, will you be faithful? Some people don't even get that chance or that choice, right? They're going to be killed just because of their association to it. But if you continue that passage, there's a super interesting little verse here. It says, some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. That doesn't give you a great picture of (laughs) resistance, right? You know, if you do want to resist leadership that is not of God or does not operate in a way that is God honoring, it doesn't give you a lot of hope, at least in the immediate term, for (laughs) the wise people, right, to resist. Yeah, it's picking up on this theme again that we've seen throughout this whole book, that to really follow God and to live in the ways he desires, you have to have wisdom, but just because you have it doesn't mean that life's going to go well. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end. Sounds like they got to go through hard things, and I'm reading a book that talks about this, right? And actually, Stephen, you just alluded to this. A lot of times, when you're hurt, when you're serving under someone, Someone who is powerful, you know, you have cycles, patterns in history where kings do the things that previous kings did. Fathers do the things that previous fathers did. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac and every other, you know, so many father and son relationships throughout history. We have this cyclical pattern, but man, if we would step back and learn and allow the pain to teach us, we could be refined and purified and made spotless so that we can actually chart a different course, that we don't become those kings who do whatever they please. I want to jump in here and I mean, I think obviously the life of Jesus gives us a blueprint. I mean, he clearly says a servant isn't greater than his master. And so if we see the life of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on our behalf and, you know, his purpose, like I do the will of my father, juxtapose that with the pursuit of power. And you can see the difference. I think when you know you're suffering for what is right, I think you can have a confidence and you have this kind of identification with the life of Jesus and the posture of Jesus. But when you're trying to do things to your own ends, then yeah, you're going to go on that same pursuit. That's how you gain power. You either seduce or you force. There's really no other option. Hmm. Wow, either seduce or you force. (laughs) I remember that. So whether this vision is coming into reality of Daniel's and you're living through this painful experience, or we're seeing something similar play out for us, either in our country, in our world, in our workplaces, in our home life. Like when we know and we see and identify, I don't know what, but I know something is wrong. How should we act? Like how do we resist or how do we, with good conscience, continue? Continue to act and function as Christ followers. There's this interesting line, the people who know their God will firmly resist them, that picking up on that wisdom knowledge theme. And doesn't give us a lot of details there, does it? I can tell you from history what different Jews did. Some fought back. There is an armed resistance. This is what we call the Maccabean Revolt. And eventually they were able to fight back Antiochus and have the temple rededicated. There are other Jews who took a passive resistance and they fled. Actually, they went to the hills in the desert and many of them were killed. There are a lot of ways resistance can manifest itself. And And Jesus says in Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And he says things like, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And so I do think what Jesus is pushing us to is some sort of peaceful resistance, but the absence of conflict isn't the same as peace. That's Mm -hmm. something that's really been resonating in my heart and mind lately, is that biblical peace is justice. It's a world where things are right. And so there has to be space for peaceful resistance where you can speak truth and confront the powers that be, not in a way that makes you into that evil thing (laughs) that you're trying to confront, because you don't want to do that, but you can't just passively stand by and allow people to push you and others to do things that aren't right, that God would say are unjust. 
it's almost like a flip of the coin. I mean, I think that move towards that justice. When I think about justice, I think about the heart of God with standing for the broken and marginalized. I have a boldness when yeah. I feel like I am standing for the least of these. That's kind yeah. of the measurement of like, if you want to say my dogma, <laughs> I'm not dogmatic about many things, but I am dogmatic about like Jesus stands with the broken. Like That's I can good. stand on that. I can champion that. And then I think resting in the promises of God. And I may be interpreting this scripture not correctly. Brandon, you might want to help me out with this. There's this phrase in the life of Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, that it says, Mary treasured these things in her heart. And that's always fascinated me. You know, when the angel would come, people, they were afraid and they were telling her all these things. And Mary treasured. Mary treasured the promises of God in her heart, even though she had no idea what was going to be asked of her, how this was going to affect her life. And I think that kind of awareness is what I think is very helpful for us. You know, she knew that, you know, you're chosen. And so she stood on that. She looked at everything that was going on and she treasured it in her heart. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love it. That's what those first couple chapters in the book of Luke are all about. Luke emphasized this idea that this is all coming about in fulfillment of the promises of God. And then Mary is given the promises. And so I do love that. It's hard not to when faced with like these types of big questions, even the reflection question of like, what is the message of Daniel 11 for those who don't experience immediate earthly rescue, right? <laughs> That's a big question. It is kind yeah. of our immediate reaction to be like, well, look at Jesus. And they didn't have that luxury during this time of Daniel. They didn't know who would be God manifest and like savior. Sure. But, you know, hindsight is 2020 for us because we get to see and read all of it. And that's why the book of Daniel is included in the greater book of the Bible. That's yeah. why this manuscript script is included is because it does point to Jesus. And this is important historical and theological context for why this Savior is necessary. And so that's why we keep pointing back to Jesus, because thematically, he is the answer and sort of the undercurrent to all of these questions that we're asking even at this point, right? And I mean, to be clear, I mean, we talk about the central chapters. Chapter seven is maybe the most important chapter if you're to pick one in the book. Just structurally, it sort of suggests that that's a passage that Jesus claims as his own. The yeah. story of the Son of Man who suffers, that representative of humanity who suffers, but through that suffering at the hands of beasts is given a throne of authority. And this is what Jesus does. He's convicted by beasts. He's confronted by beasts. He's killed by beasts. But in the process, he's raised up. He's vindicated by God as being innocent, and he's given a seat of authority. So we have the story of Jesus actually right here, just, you know, in an apocalyptic form. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of the undercurrent for me when I read this passage is I'm like, listen, these leaders, they just come one after another. Yeah. They do what they want and they use flattery. And so who's to say who this person really is, even if they're using flattery, then that means they're good at it, right? That means that they can subvert what people think about them versus what is the reality about the way that they lead. I mean, that happens to people all the time, right? I guess my question is like, when we see these people and the character come about over time, how can we not get like immediate earthly rescue? Probably the biggest answer is keep reading Daniel because you see this word arise, 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 arise. Maybe this question is more of a tease because it sets you up to really read chapter 12 and you're going to see this rise language again. Figures are going to arise. And so just pay attention for that because I think that helps us understand that. But I also think the message, because this is what we've seen throughout the book, the Hebrew boys, they were threatened with burning. They were thrown into the fire. Now they were rescued, but they said, even if, even if God doesn't rescue me, I'm still going to do this. He asked me to be faithful to him, to give my allegiance to him, no matter the cost. Daniel, he has a choice. Pray to the king or pray to God. What does he do? He goes, he prays to God. He's thrown in the lion's pit. He's faithful to God no matter what. And so the message of the book leading up to this is, even if 
you're going to be captured, burned. They have to be vegetarians? Well, no, I was talking okay, about okay, the people okay, in Daniel okay, yeah, 11. Yeah, yeah. All these things, plundered, even if you still stay faithful to God because he deserves it. And he's proven. Here's the thing. Yeah, we look at Jesus, but he had already proven to these people. That's what actually the first 10 chapters are kind of getting at. It's God is faithful. And it may not be at the time you want, but he's faithful. He's faithful to his promises. He's faithful to those promises he gave to Abraham at the beginning. He filled those out in time, not on Abraham's timing, but he did it in his own time. And this is what he does. He's loyal to his people in his own time. And he's someone worth following, even when we have to suffer, even when we have to go through the pain because his way is going to win out in the end. And that's probably why you say, you know, you need to read the second half of Daniel yeah. because it's just as important as the first half because the first half of Daniel is giving us the history and experiences that yeah. these people had. And the second half is sort of showing these visions of what will and could happen in the future. And without the context of history, you can't make sense of the second half, right? And it is that, what is the word that you use to... The hinge? Well, no, yeah. it's the hinge, but like if you fold the book in half and they like line up the chapters referred to Oh, each the other. chiasm? The chiasm. Yeah. You know, that's why the this book is important because, you know, if we're in chapter 11, there are things being referred to earlier in the book. And yeah, there are actually so many things. You have kings who are described as having great pride. You have people who talks about them refusing to eat food. You have all these interesting allusions to things earlier in the book. And so it's not disconnected from everything else. And those stories aren't disconnected from what we got in the rest of the book. It's why you want to read the whole thing. So yeah, that's like if you want the political cartoon to be a whole cartoon, you know, you've got the outline here in chapter 11 and it might not feel like you're getting all the details that would allow you to fully see what's happening. Well, the color is all in the first half of Daniel. You get mm -hmm. the real world examples of how this could be seen or played out yeah. in these leaders and these characters and the people who need to resist on behalf of God. So you get the whole political cartoon as long as you read the whole thing together, yeah. right? So yeah. yeah, something that I want to offer in, I mean, just bear with me here. I mean, I think because this world is broken, there's always going to be those that in pursuit of power wanting to accomplish their own agenda. And I can only speak for myself. I think the hardest part for me is to, in many ways, choose who I'm going to pledge my allegiance to. If it's yeah. to my own comfort, in some ways I have to give up this notion of comfort because yeah. that is the seduction that will draw you into actually reenacting the grasp of power. You know what I mean? That's but right. like God's peace and like you were saying, Brendan, God's faithfulness is better and God is always faithful and he's trustworthy. But I think it's hard to follow God when you put your comfort at the center of it and say, hey, I need to be comfortable. But if you can let go of that trusting, you're surrendering to something better. You can be firm in your allegiance. But if you're trying to have both, it just doesn't work. If you're trying to protect your own comfort, it usually inevitably leads to you actually either oppressing someone else or being seduced by the powers that be. Does it do harm? Stuck hey. with me this whole time ever since you, you got, said You it. got a lot of lines that yeah. <laughs> we're writing down, <laughs> Stephen. I made a poster out of all your one-liners. I, I recite <laughs> them when I wake up every morning and just navigate my day. I mean, these are confusing times. Like, we have got an election. We still don't know who has won. We're recording this as of, well as before. As of today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're, we're recording well before the finality of that, kind of on purpose, so we don't even speak to it. But we've got an election. We've got racial reconciliation that needs to happen in this country. We've got a pandemic. We've got all all kinds of confusing times happening. And, you know, that is the question of how to navigate each day because each day is bringing us something new and something more confusing. So I guess that's kind of my final question for today is like with Daniel 11 being our outline and our understanding of how people can be oppressed and kings can rise to power who should not be there. How should we navigate these days? What's our word for how we approach each day right now? The people who know their God will firmly resist him. You know, it's knowing God, it's having wisdom and standing up for what's right. 
no matter the cost. I think that's what it is. And that's always contextualized to every person, to every situation. You know, I can't say what that is for you or for Stephen or any listeners. I can only speak for my own life and what that looks like, but it's knowing what does God ask of you today? What's the hard thing that you're facing and saying, God, this is going to hurt to go through, but I'm going to go through it because... I believe this is what you will. I believe this is what you're asking of me. And so I'm going to resist if I need to resist. I'm going to stand up if I need to stand up. And the way to know it, I suppose, is to know God, to have the wisdom, to be among the wise. Those who are wise will instruct many. To have that wisdom that Daniel has throughout this entire book. One thing I've often prayed is, God, would you help me know what is right? Would you help me know what to do and then have the courage to do it? It's that both. It's knowing what's the right thing you asked me today. And God, would you give me the strength to go through it no matter what? harm it might bring to me. I certainly echo those words. And I think there's that phrase that says, at the appointed time. I think for me personally, that's helpful to just think that, you know, God has ordained or allowed this to happen for a season. This is not the end. Like God mm. writes the story and it may look crazy and bleak right now, but God says, at my appointed time, I can topple kingdoms. I can remove, you know, and so trusting in God's faithfulness once again. And then Jesus says, if you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And each of us have to do that, have that kind of self-inventory and say, am I really taking myself off the throne and saying, God, like your will, your kingdom come. I know you've got my back. I know you said that the servant isn't greater than his master, but I also know that you're faithful and that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. And I think that when we're facing opposition, when we're facing difficult issues, I think this last line from the reading today is really profound. And it's in a confusing part of this reading too, but this last line of, yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. Listen, like we're going to face people and we're going to face trials and we're going to face pandemics and we're going to face all kinds of stuff. But when all is said and done, it's what you said, Stephen, at the appointed time, right? People will meet their end that need to when God is in control of it. And let's be real, like as humans, our kingdoms, whatever area that we all individually reside over, that's going to come to an end too. Like this is all temporary and God gives this temporarily. And my hope is that each of us would live a life that would be the antithesis of this. He will come to his end and no one will help him. It would be our hope that we are all among people who would come to our aid when we need help. And that only happens when we live a life worthy of Mm. being helped, you know? I think of that parable where Jesus says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's the kind of life you want to live. At the end of the day, (laughs) I want to hear those words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us today for the Journey Through Daniel podcast. If this is your first time, so glad that you checked us out. To check out even more resources, children and family resources, and eBooks for all ages, visit our journey page at willowjourney.org. And follow us for updates at willowcreeknes on Instagram. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check us out at willowcreek.org. We'll see you next time.